Welcome to the Courage Coaching and Counseling Podcast with Savon Penn, licensed professional counselor here in Portland, Oregon. Wherever you're at in life, this podcast will inspire and encourage you to be more brave in life and take the next best step between where you are and where you want to be. Episode 14 of the Courage Coaching and Counseling Podcast is with Dr. Corey Gilbert. Corey is a professor at Corbin University. He teaches several classes in the psychology and counseling departments. And he is the podcast host of Family Features Podcast. He's written two books on human sexuality. The first, I Can't Say That, is for parents. And he just released a guide for teens and preteens called Going Beyond the Talk. Both of those books are about helping kids make choices about sexuality and gender from a biblical sexual ethic. In this episode, we talk about how Corey became a counselor. He shares some of the things that he teaches in his courses. And he also talks about the his unique uh, way of doing marriage counseling. He does house calls. Corey also has a few programs uh, on his website. And one of the ones that he talks about is for uh, tr- uh, from trauma to transformed, which is a coaching program, an online program. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Dr. Corey Gilbert. All right. Welcome, Corey Gilbert, to the Courage Coaching and Counseling Podcast. Thank you. Good to be here. Excited. Yes, we're um, we, we were just chatting as we started, and there's there's so many things that uh, uh, Corey's uh, involved in and, and doing. So I'm excited for him to to share uh, uh, what he's doing. But as we start, Corey, could you share a little bit with listeners your your background? Sure. Um, my background is I've been for almost 21 years now a, a licensed therapist, counselor, um, PhD, and also about 16 years ago started teaching at the college level, uh, undergrad, graduate, and doctoral level. So I've been doing that for the last 16 years, and then um, kind of juggling those two, teaching at different universities. Um, so that's my kind of professional background. I'm a dad. I've got three kiddos. Um, married to my best friend for almost 18 years. And um, my background before that is missionary kid. So I grew up in South America in Chile. So English was kind of not my first language growing wow. up. Like all my education was in Spanish until my senior year of high school. And so wow, that's awesome. That's, yeah. That's where I came from. We share yeah. that in common. I'm a, a PK and an MK too. Wonderful. Where? Uh, my, my folks were uh, in, in Thailand. They served in Thailand with the uh, Christian Missionary Alliance. Um, nice. Wonderful. Yeah. And uh, we, we weren't there long. Uh, uh, but yeah, it's uh, went, went to MK school in, in nice. Malaysia. So. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I went to the, the Chilean schools in Chile and in Temuco, Chile. And that was very life changing very much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So be, before we dive into like the, the work you do with, with counseling um, and uh, 
the and teaching how did you decide to go into uh the the counseling uh field well so speaking of like education and career path i graduated from high school with an absolute burden and passion to go into music ministry so i graduated i went to college in music majored in composition and my junior year they sat me down and said you're not graduating <laughs> You are not talented enough to pass your recitals and you will not be graduating. You need wow. to find a new major. And I fell to pieces. They cried with me with amazing professors. I'm still very close to, to all of them. Mm. Um, but they basically said, you need to find a new life. So I fell apart, regrouped through the summer. And I had one elective open just, just to get a general music degree and graduate. And that one elective was a counseling class I took. Mm. And I sat in that class and every day was just like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And just, just aha moment after aha moment of, I could do that. I could do that. Looking at families and marriages and realizing that growing up in Chile, I watched two really men that I loved um, leave the mission field because of affairs mm. and realized how much that had impacted me as a kid. And still not understanding why. And so it dove, I dove into just study, study, study. So then my, that was my senior year of college. I ended up applying to one place, Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Fort Worth, Texas. And went there for my a double master's there in marriage and family counseling and Christian education. And I went from a C and D student in college, not doing too well grade-wise, also dealing with English and language stuff to graduating you know with a great gpa from seminary and um just finding a whole new passion um mm. in the counseling field not realizing that there's a lots of turns that that was going to take mm. so got into that field found out you actually have to charge people to make money and to to do things for 20 bucks an hour isn't financially feasible and that's what i did and so i crashed and burned when it came to being able to survive financially, mm. but it led to other jobs that um, that really helped me get new experience, get different kinds of experience, mm. um, and then grow. And then it's morphed over the years, these 21 years that I've done that. Wow. A lot. Yeah. So, so there were definitely like, like some, some hard moments in there. Like you were doing, oh, yes. you were doing the work, but financially like business sense um, yeah. wise, uh, was part of that cultural from growing up on the mission field? Very. I had serious issues with money and charging anything. And to me, my m mindset was all ministry. It's all supposed yeah. to be free. You're helping people. That's not reality. Yeah. Yeah. And so I've, I've changed what I do now. And it's incredible. And I love the impact I'm having now. Just the last two or three years, it's just been life changing and yeah. beautiful to see what happens. But it's taken years of me Kind of having to work on myself with how I do the business side, even though the other side, the counseling side, is just growing through mm. experience. My biggest teachers are my clients. I mean, they teach me about life and experiences that I mm. that I've never had. And my main yeah. area of focus in counseling is trauma, um, sexuality issues, gender, um, and then marriage issues. So I do a lot with affairs and sexual abuse, which is rough and then the fun parts are always the premaritals and those kind of things as well but mm -hmm. um, yeah that's what i do yeah. now 
there, there, there's, there's fun stuff uh, as a, as a counselor, and then there's a, yeah. there's hard stuff too, and everything in between. Uh, uh, can you share a little bit? But so the shift in the last two or three years, mm -hmm. um, what were some of the things that made the difference there? So I started realizing that the only way I'm going to do this is to learn how to do business, how to understand. Um, you can't just barely make enough to survive. You've got to make enough to invest in either marketing or even a team. And so I started taking business classes and learning about marketing, mm. learning about everything from website design to um, how to do a podcast and all that kind of stuff. So it, it's incredible, the journey of that. But it's opened up doors where I've also seen where more of my strengths are and weaknesses are and where I want to invest my time and energy in terms of how to help people. It's made me narrow down what I work with and who I work with. Mm. It's just, it's been a really growing process. Yeah. Um, and then learning to charge more and expect more out of my clients, which changes completely what they end up doing versus more of just an hour fee for service kind of model that we tend to follow. So. Nice. Nice. See, mm -hmm. uh, I, there were like lots of different choices that you were making in, in yep. there. Uh, but, but mm -hmm. I, I could hear like, it's just like really building. I think a lot of folks that go into a uh, counseling uh, 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 program or even before that an undergrad major in psychology, they, they don't realize uh, that, that you have to learn the business often have to learn the business side of things. Oh yeah, that's. I wish that was part of more of the programs, especially at the master's level. Um, just some more classes on the business side mm -hmm. of what does that look like. Not that you're going to always go into business for yourself or private practice, but even if you're um, a contractor, you just need to understand basic from taxes to um, you know all those pieces of marketing and yep. Yeah. Before we dive into. Uh, kind of what's in the future and like what you're, 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 you're working towards. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm curious, um, like, what do you like to teach? Like what, what are some of the classes that you teach? Ah, oh, so the last 16, 17 years, I've been teaching human sexuality and trauma courses and marriage courses. Those are the main kind of things. And you'll hear my students will hear me in every class. I refer to the other classes because it's a big puzzle that I'm dealing with. Basically, take anything that most people don't want to talk about and I'm going to go there. <laughs> so human sexuality is one of my favorite classes where we talk about each week is basically a theology of looking at a biblical picture of um, this concept so from singleness and marriage to contraception, to masturbation, to um, just sex and marriage. Um, all these, these, areas we get stuck on because i think we we are in a, a world where we're so obsessed with sex but not about anything healthy it's more about very selfish self-indulgent pictures of sexuality like we see in music and mm. so many other places even like this the the music that wins you know song of the year is grossly disgusting and not empowering to anyone um we have a culture that's very uh, unhealthy or like movies like 50 shades you know, that kind of stuff not healthy not okay and so i do it i do my best job i can to paint a picture of what is a biblical picture a healthy picture of how it's going to thrive and be a beautiful part of your relationship 
And then trauma related, oftentimes we have trauma, more people do than we realize. And then they don't realize the connection of their trauma to why they're struggling in, in business or struggling in their marriage or mm. it's all connected. And then um, teaching classes on marriage, to me, it's so important about the theology. Again, what you believe versus a very self-centered this is about making me my, myself happy. So they're all connected. Then I teach other classes like addictions and um, abnormal psych and uh, group dynamics. But yeah, just I love, love, love the classroom. So this past year, we've been in the classroom, but it's been so different. Um, I definitely look forward to being able to see my students' pretty faces and have more dialogues and yeah. Um, Boy, so you, you that that's like half a dozen like major uh classes. Yeah. Like, like if you go through the 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 program uh, at your school like you, yep. it's it's uh Dr. Gilbert. <laughs> yep. It's a lot of me and then I also yeah. teach like family systems and yeah, I got a couple others too, counseling skills is another one I teach. I love that class. Um but yeah, at Corbin, where I teach, it's a, uh, it's me and a few other adjuncts, and then one other full time. Uh, so yeah, we have to do a lot of stuff. But I love my classes. Like to me, they're all, probably in every class, I've said, hey, this is my favorite. <laughs> so uh, I definitely love what I do because of exactly what you mentioned. Of um, these students are trying to figure out who they are and what they're going to do next and who they're going to be and. Um, I get to help plant some seeds that they have to decide which ones they kind of fertilize and let grow. And to me, the the Bible being central is critical in that. And then that the concept of pain and how we go through pain, we see it different depending on our belief system. And mm -hmm. so a lot of belief systems, it's all about getting through and past the pain versus Christianity, which looks at it and talks about the, how do we live and grow and thrive even within the pain. Yeah. So I love teaching those kind of concepts. Uh, so the, the world, um, our, our, our country, our, um, our cities, our, our homes are, are going through a lot of pain with yes. this last year with the pandemic. Um, like, yeah, we're approaching the one year anniversary. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm curious, um, and uh, I, I feel almost selfish for, for asking, but I do want, uh, I'm going to ask it anyway. <laughs> With the areas of marriage or trauma um, and human sexuality, um, how do you think the, the pandemic is affecting those areas? So the first few months was incredible. Last March, I pivoted when they shut things down, teaching face-to-face. -face, and I just started seeing clients like every day, seven days a week. Wow. Um, and it was incredible. Because people were struggling. Yeah, people were struggling. But at mm. the beginning, it was really cool. There was dads were all of a sudden at home full-time with, with their wives and with their kids. And they were seeing, wow, my mm. wife's job's tough. Man, these kids are crazy. And how did she do it? And marriages were actually, I think, mending and, some good things happened for a few months and huh. then it started turning in the corner and getting harder as it was longer and longer of we're going to work from home now and 
the stress of the volume at home and um, people needing space. And mm. I, I think it's to a point where I think a lot of people are just exhausted now. We're seeing, as you probably know, the, stat, the stats, a, such an increase in suicides and in, um, other mental health and anxiety and depression. And I think we have barely even hit, you have to see the tip of the iceberg right now as mm. to the repercussions of this past year on mental health in homes and in children and teenagers. Um, I think a few years ago, a number of years ago, we really were frowning upon doing online school for a college age student. It was almost seen as masters and on. Mm. And then over the last few years, we've kind of, it's kind of grown the fad of online school for college, but not really fully accepted. And then all of a sudden, March last year, everyone was doing online school. And I think we're seeing this is not okay. This is not healthy. This is not helpful. Now, some have thrived. Some have like, man, this is amazing. But that's, I think, very few. Mm -hmm. I think we're seeing or going to see a lot more repercussions, years of repercussions from, from the lockdowns, from the isolation. I remember one young man in August, last August, saying, oh, wow, I haven't spoke to someone all summer. Wow. And I was like, he just lived in his dorm room or his actually his apartment and he just played video games all summer like we have i think we are creating some monsters right now in terms of the lack of potential lack of not potential but the lack of motivation to reach their potential um a lot of stuck people who kind of found comfort in just staying home and mm. it scares me what's happening to families actually really really scares me yeah yeah at the same time, I'm very hopeful to how are we going to pivot and how are we going to, even as churches, change the way we do things and be more intentional at creating incredible community, incredible insight, you know, depth in terms of how we study God's word, how we call out and, and speak about who you're mm. going to be as a, as a believer. I'm very hopeful there. So, yeah, yeah. As as a professor, Corey, working with students, so so I guess it was like almost spring break, probably like like yep. the first term when we shut down, and then yep. summer, uh, um, and then fall. Um, so you've been working with students. Uh, could, could you take a few moments to uh, talk with uh, any college student or any family member trying to support their college student? about things that you've seen that are, are not helpful with, with academic success or even emotional health as a college age student? And then what are some of the things that you've seen that like with, with students that have been doing well, like what are, what are, what's been helpful for, for being successful? Yeah, I think the, the biggest thing is we as a believer are not to be living in fear. And I see too many Christians living in fear. Now, I don't mean don't like live stupidly. Don't do that. But we are not to live in fear. And I think people, too many are living day to day afraid. And that destroys their physical health and mental health. Hmm. There's not a faith. There's not trust in. And if we trust our government to do stuff, good luck with that. Don't ever go there. Um, that's not what we're supposed to put our faith in. 
can we put our faith in that God's even in control in all of this and then be smart? So where I'm seeing really the students that are thriving, they've kept connection, they've kept community, they've, they've been very intentional at keeping relationships, nurturing relationships. Yeah, they isolated a little bit back in March, April last year, but since then they've actually maintained community. Those that are doing the worst haven't. They've stayed in their rooms, they've hidden, they've, they've not been healthy. And so I really fear for people who are living uh, kind of day-to-day in fear. And so the support from parents, I think we have done a, a scary job personally of making it kind of the way we talk about some of this of, of, well, you do this to protect other people. And it's like the way that we've kind of spun things has made everyone feel guilty about everything and everything they do, no matter what you do. So churches are split across the country, really the world. There's a lot of churches are split over just mask or not mask. I'm like, really? That's what we're going to get all stuck on? Man, Satan is having a heyday. I think he's laughing his head off. We need to stop. And what is the whole purpose of us being here on earth? And it's to love others and it's to draw them to the cross to help people grow and mature in their faith. And they're living for something bigger than themselves. And so I think the students that are doing the best are they have something inside that they're living for that's bigger than themselves. Hmm. They're not just kind of punching a clock and just doing a kind of existing. And so I, I fear again for what's coming for some where we're going to find out some are not going to want to leave their apartment. They're not going to want to leave their house. Right. Yeah. The, um, that, that isolation and disconnection Mm -hmm. and, and getting stuck. Um, any suggestions? For like like a mom who's concerned about that that's that stuck suit student to me it's all it's actually counterintuitive right now is a lot of times what we're telling our kids is to isolate and to do these things i saw some i can't remember what country it was was if your kids at school and someone else in school gets sick when your kid comes home, because they'll be sent home, isolate your kid in some room for 14 days. Mm. Like, show me mental health-wise from any doctor that's healthy, how that is actually safe or healthy for a child to isolate from their own family for 14 days. I'm like, no, mm. this is scary. What we're kind of following into with what isn't helping, and what's actually going to happen is we're going to see even more suicides and even more. Um, severe mental health reactions. But then what scares me there is we're going to misdiagnose many of those as well. Mm. As in, oh, you're depressed. So here's a pill. I don't need a pill. I need help. Mm. The pill might help me get out of my fog, but I still need help. Mm. As in really what I need is connection. We're built for connection. We're built for touch. We're built for that. So Right. Um, I think it's a lot so of hard. It's advice, so hard right now. Yeah. When the advice to kids needs to be sometimes you need that community. You know, you're if you're around a lot more people, you're obviously going to be a lot more likely to be exposed. So, so limiting that makes logical sense. But you need to be around some people. Uh, 
and they become your family. So kind of like dorms can become, if they're small enough, a good family. And as in exposure, sports teams, that's how they're doing sports. Is this the sports team becomes kind of like a family. And so they're tested and they're checked, but they tend to not, they're not supposed to be, you know, interacting with other people closely. In their little bubble. Yeah. 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 And I hope that has a very short shelf life that needs to be, we need to move on from that soon for our mental health. And again, I think the, the worst one to come is, and the physical health um, um, things to come, we're going to see a lot more an increase in other diagnoses that are going to be directly related to this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, um, it, it's a good thing you're, you're, you're training counselors um, or yes, or getting, <laughs> That's getting been folks wild. ready. Yeah. Yeah. So the, uh, so let's sh- shift gears a little bit. Um, what, are, what are, um, what are you uh, passionate about or, or working on these days? Um, so the main thing I'm actually focused on right now is I have a new program called Trauma to Transformed. So you can go to trauma to transform.com and you can download this free guide that's got the seven tools that I kind of walk through. But it's basically looking at, it's, it's aimed at women and couples who have a past trauma or traumas and how do you, instead of counseling, instead of years of therapy, instead of, you know, sharing your deep, dark secrets and just getting re-traumatized, how do I learn about my, a lot of what I've taught for years? How do I learn about my brain, how it falls away memories, understanding shame, understanding what I do with shame and understanding tools that in the end help me break free. And so I love empowering the person I'm working with, the people I'm working with, for them to have, be able to, through education, actually find a way out. I feel like our past has like these tentacles that reach in and they're actually almost controlling us. And so being able to, to break all those ties, I can't erase what happened to me, but I can change the way I live today and live into the future. Mm-hmm. A lot of women I work with and a lot of couples I work with, they might look fine on the surface, but they're barely surviving they can't dream they're very stuck and so i love seeing them all of a sudden having a vision for a future and having hope for a different future and, and taking risks and growing um, but it's usually through learning almost demystifying their own brain and demystifying their own reactions and and getting rid of that power from from past so that's the process I go through. It's an, an eight-week program that then leads into a year of support um, with, with a with group and with me. Um, but it's one of my new things that has been really, really powerful, kind of taking what I've done over the last 20 years and putting it into a new new format. But Nice. And so the, yeah. that, that eight-week uh, program, is that something that meets in person or you uh, do uh, online? Online, it's, it's a course that I've, it's lots of videos, you know, about 20 hours of videos of, I've shot over the years, over the last few years in different places. Wow. Um, and then it's direct support for me throughout the, those eight weeks and then the group beyond the eight weeks. Yeah. Nice, nice. Yeah. And, and, and I see uh, behind you, your, your, your book. Can you share a little bit uh, about oh, yeah. your book? 
Well, yeah, that came back in 2019. Um, here's a closer one. I can't say that. And the subtitle is Going Beyond the Talk, Equipping Your Children to Make Choices About Sexuality and Gender from a Biblical Sexual Ethic. And so this is the book. And then the blue one's the workbook for parents. And it walks through how do you how do you know what to say and how to talk to your kids about this topic of gender and sexuality from a biblical worldview. And it walks through scripture, it walks through you deciding, and that's what the workbook's for, what do I believe and what do I intentionally want to teach my children? And so that's my, my baby from 2019. Um, and then I have another one coming out here in the next few months that's actually for the preteen and teen. So it's a, pre -teen, a teen and preteen's guide to going beyond the talk. Um, so same kind of content, but aimed for to hand to your teen for them to read or preteen. Um, I would prefer to see it read by a eight, nine, 10 year old because oftentimes by our teenagers, um, the world already taught them all this stuff that's scary. Mm. And I want to be proactive versus reactive. And so a lot of what I teach in here is how to, your kids are not innocent. We act like they are. And we need to protect them, yes, but we need to prepare them. We need to prepare them to understanding about gender and God's creation of male and female. And, and what does that mean? Uh, we need to understand the, the biblical picture of marriage. Um, a new section I added in the, the book we just finished and it'll be coming out soon is on even polyamory. That our world's in a different relationship with marriage and we need to talk about polygamy and polyamory and a lot of these other choices uh, where you have multiple people in a, in a relationship and what's the biblical response to this and how do we respond as a church and what if i'm tempted to go that direction so my goal in this is answers but not telling you what to do in a sense giving you the tools for you to formulate what you believe about dating about pornography social media all those kind of topics so yeah yeah you, you've been teaching human sexuality at a college level for a, for a while. Um, yes. So you're, you're talking to college students. What's something that you wish parents had done um, or uh, like the conversations that you wish parents had had before these students hit the campus? Well, so we, I've been doing research on my college students for the last um, what, 15 years. So I've got really cool data on them actually from their, from their mouths when they're answering questions every year. And I've had students doing, taking that research and actually presenting on it at conferences, which has been really cool. Um, they overwhelmingly basically say, I wish that my parents had been safe to go to. Mm -hmm. I wish they had started the conversation though. Cause then I talked to parents and the parents say, oh, but I told my kids I was safe. I was like, yeah, but you have to start the conversation. Most of us, our kids are not going to come to us and ask about, you know, I, I heard about this sexting thing. What is that? They're right. going to Google it. Yeah. And so they're learning more from their friends and, and from Google and porn than they are from us as parents. Why? Because we must go there. And that, and the, the timeline is you've got to go there earlier than you think you need to go there. Mm. So yeah. wherever I think, Maybe they're at the age, back it up two or three years. They need to, you need to go there earlier to plant the seeds. Mm -hmm. And you think of even a three or four-year-old, 
you want to be able to plant the seed there. They may not understand, but you're talking about marriage and gender and uh, all this stuff all the time. It makes it more normalized so that when they get older and have deeper conversations, they aren't coming just kind of clueless or only from what they found online or what they heard mm -hmm. from school. Yeah. So be it, proactive. It, yeah. Can, um, I, I, I liked the idea of m micro conversations from, mm -hmm. from, from your book. Can you say a little bit more about that for listeners? Yeah. It's funny. Cause I, I wanted to even title it micro conversations. I love that term. It's little short bite size, basically teaching points. And then I realized after I wrote the book and after all that, oftentimes they're not conversations. They're one way, you know, speeches, if you will. Hmm. And realize that if you're lucky, you get a conversation where it's back and forth. But even if it's not, they're listening and you need to say it. You need to speak about pornography. You need to speak about uh, masturbation. You need to speak about dating and having a, here's my standard or desire for you, even if they say nothing. Otherwise, your voice is silent and the world is really loud or everyone else is out there is really loud. And mm. so then obviously they're not going to follow you. So you being very intentional at, at age one, you're planting seeds and two and three and four. And um, you're there. The window for you is birth to seven for planting the most seeds. By seven years old, their personality and who they are is pretty set in stone. And then what I basically tell parents is, and you have then from about seven until maybe 10 or 11 before they are very much feeling like they're their own person and they're starting to pull away from you. And so that's the window to have the most conversations about dating and relationships and kind of who you are. Hmm. By 12 -ish, seven, to, 11, seven to 10. Yes. Wow. By 11, 12, 13, they're pulling away from you and they're going to listen to their friends over you almost every time. And so you're going to be the, the crazy old person that doesn't know because you're out of touch with reality now as a parent, hmm. unless you've started earlier and planted those seeds where then you have a very different conversation with your 12 and 13 and 14 and 15 year old. Hmm. So you want to be kind of ahead of them, not, you know, trying to play catch up. And a hmm. lot of us really are playing catch up because we don't understand what they're dealing with. Yeah. So, yeah. Those and those 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 conversations then evolve as they get older. Yeah, yeah. And think of a think of their age as a good number of how long. When they're two, you have a two minute one, maybe if that. Hmm. When they're five, you might be able to get five minutes out of them. But when they're ten, you can have a ten minute one, not an hour long lecture with your ten year old. That's not going to be helpful. Hmm. Some might listen, but that's not. So as they get older, they get a little longer, but they're still just little nuggets. Yeah. Yeah. That's, oh, I love that. that that's so good. Um, yeah. Uh, any, uh, any suggestions, Corey, for uh, a couple, mom and dad, where mm -hmm. one partner is uncomfortable or, or one partner wants the other person to, to say more to the kids? Well, and I would say that's almost every couple. If you you almost always have two very different people, and it's important not to try to force the other person to be like you, and vice versa. Mm -hmm. To me, about when it comes to the couple, it's how do you make both people 
rise to the occasion and bring their best, whatever their best is. Mm. And you're different. So maybe I'm able to handle these conversations better than my husband or my wife. Well, then you do it, whoever you are, husband or wife. Um, I'm going to be talking more to my daughter than my wife will because I'm much more comfortable at some of these things. And so even though she's the girl and she should talk to our daughter, no, I'm going to probably have more of those conversations. Mm. Um, but other couples, the wife's more comfortable. And so she's having a lot of these conversations. But and this is to me the interesting thing. In the end, I believe our kids grow up and they look more to dad on a lot more things than we realize. And that us dads need to kind of be scared about that. <laughs> like, Mm -hmm. um, how we work, our work ethic, what we obsess about, what we focus on, what we, you know, worship, what we, what we spend our time and our money on, all of this shapes our kids as a dad more than we realize. And so being very honest about how we talk about those things with our kids. So it's moving it out of their operating system, their unconscious, and moving it into their conscious where they can actually engage their prefrontal cortex and see and choose that's conversations, bring it out of the unconscious. And so we need to do a lot more conversing about, you know, we just bought this and we could have done this and this and this, and here's why we chose this option. And maybe even tell them it costs us much, or we could have done this. Mm. The more teaching we do about finances and about choices of where we live and um, allows them to grow a stronger and bigger base of how they can influence how they make decisions as they grow up mm. versus arriving at 18, having no clue how to handle money. They never had a bank account. They have no idea what rent should cost or um, what a cell phone bill amount is or insurance. So it, all these pieces on top of how you handle your sexuality and how do you steward your sexuality, um, how you become a gentleman and how you treat all people but it's also women um, you are a lady and what does that mean and i think this is a beautiful um calling on our lives as parents basically mm. so you're being different needs to be maximized not seen as a liability yeah that uh that's i i hope that's inspiring and and not intimidating um for 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 dads out there to, to hear yeah. Uh, to uh, your encouragement for dads to 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 teach more to, to or 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 to train and to to speak mm -hmm. up more um i think a lot of guys they, they get into that that role of of provider um yep. and and mom is rearing the kids and kind of yep. handles that part um but yeah that that's that's good to hear uh and we all have different skills and tools. So like my kids are learning how to fix cars and do stuff like that. Why? Cause I enjoy that and I'm a mm. cheapskate and don't want to pay someone. So um, when the radiator went out in our van, kid, let's go fix it. So we went and bought a new one and we, the brakes went out. So they're going to learn from me that. And then a dad who doesn't know how to do that, well, but he's got a different set of skills. So then we create a community, hopefully, where we actually learn from each other. Mm. So like part of the way that we've done that is through Boy Scouts. We do Boy Scouts. And so I'm the scout master of our troop and we have a group of, of dads who 
I would trust my kids with, and they trust me with their kids. And we, um, and we are very careful with rules and, um, you know, always too deep leadership. So never alone with kids and, um, our kids in the buddy system. And it's been cool to watch them grow and learn tools and go camping and adventures. And it's some of their closest friends too, from that. But mm. even for me as a dad, those are some of my closest friends is all, all those dads because we have adventures together. Yeah. That's um, some, of, some of the, uh, the most support and, and uh, it, uh, that, that we had uh, as the kids were growing up was being part of a uh, homeschool co-op uh, mm -hmm. where we had like yeah. a monthly parent meeting and we could yep. just kind of share stories and get support from other parents. Yeah, we homeschool as well. Time. And our, our, that's our other one. So our two main or three, so our three main communities are Boy Scouts, our homeschool co-op, and then my wife runs the American Heritage Girls, um, which is kind of a Christian version of Girl Scouts that focuses on character development. And so my daughter's in that. And so those are the three things. And I think of every family, every family's got a different set of those, uh, different, you know, it might be a sport, it might be music, it might be band, it might be uh, something else. And they also are involved in community Bible study um, here locally. And um, our church as well. Uh, I'm a deacon at our church. And, and so that those are key aspects of growing the people that influence our children and us. Mm. So we moved here to Oregon eight years ago. And one of the hardest things about leaving Georgia where we used to live was our community because we loved our church. We loved our friends and um, our, I had a group of six bikers. I'm a motorcycle guy. And um it was hard to leave them because mm. they were my closest you know friends and confidants and we had adventures together so even as kids we need that we need that as adults too and men are sometimes the worst at not finding community thinking they're okay without community mm. so and i think you've done that through jujitsu haven't you yeah what well, the yeah. uh love that that's so awesome have a lot of have had a lot of fun um and definitely uh the the, the gym feels like family yep you know when you that's when you spend awesome. when you spend I so much time that. together um you know mm -hmm. it, it, it's uh, uh i'm jealous of that i think that's such an amazing my my kids all have done taekwondo or actually shaolin kempo and my oldest is heading towards his black belt in shaolin kempo right now um, nice. A lot of hard work to get to that point. It is, yeah. but I've never done it because I, I've never been able to do those kind of things because of health reasons. Mm. And so I, I'm very, I'm very jealous of that kind of community through, through the gym. That's neat. Yeah. The, um, uh, as, as we, uh, start to wind things down for, for mm -hmm. today, Corey, um, uh, is there anything that you'd like to highlight or uh, promote, uh, besides your trauma to transform, uh, course. I just, it's kind of what we've talked about, even the heart that you have towards this, with this podcast is each of you have a journey and go get the training you need and you can do it through, uh, I'm obviously a very big fan of higher education and, um, getting, 
getting that stuff in order. You can do it in other ways as well through different different venues. Um, I would never, I would not change my years of set seminary for anything um, in Fort Worth, Texas. I loved that time. I grew so much, but find what lights you up and it's going to exhaust you. I, I, everything I do is exhausting mm. um, and I wouldn't trade it for anything. Being able to invest in the people the way I get to invest in people, um, listen to people. And right now, because of 2020, we mental health and a lot of places are pivoting and be able to use this kind of format like video and zoom and stuff like that to do uh, to reach out to people and to, to probably help people even better than we did before mm. and so i hope we can see hope in the changes coming again how the church can pivot and change how education can um, but this is the time to go into different kinds of people helping uh, either nursing, other kinds of caring of others uh, because the need is greater than ever. Um, but I just, I would say, don't chase the money necessarily chase what makes you light up because mm. you go to sleep thankful. You got to invest in that, whatever that is. And I know working at Corbin, some of them are going into coaching. Some are going into ministry. Some are going into counseling and teacher education doctors and lawyers and it's just so cool to see how god's gifted us all so different and so we each have a different place kind of in that whole whole of life we need you we need you to find your place mm. the statistic is that 70 percent of americans hate their job that 70%. makes me so sad mm. if you wake up and you don't like your job you are probably not healthy physically and mentally you are miserable no quit it mm. find something else if you love books go work at a bookstore if they have any bookstores any left <laughs> mm. i think they keep closing them all but like we need to help you find your niche and your place and so um, i believe that god's calling on our lives is much bigger than we actually settle for sometimes mm. um, for some of you that calling is maybe bigger than you realize as in to be a mom to be a dad we minimize that part because we're so obsessed with money mm. so i've talked to a lot of students that don't want to go you know have some big career they just their heart is to be able to raise children and i think that's a beautiful calling mm. so don't minimize what god's doing in your life and in your heart and then go for it take the risk find teammates like like us because I'll be your biggest fan if you come to Corbin and pursue your dream to try to help you get there. So, Awesome. Yeah. Thank you, Corey. That's so encouraging. Uh, pleasure. I'll, uh, I'll share your, your, uh, your, your info, your, your website, and uh, uh, in, in the show notes for this episode. Thank you for your time. Love Thank the conversation. So Thanks for having me. Very much. I loved where Corey ended our episode. Chase what lights you up, find your niche, your calling, and don't minimize what God is doing in your life. Uh, I hope this episode encouraged you. We touched on a lot of different areas. Uh, Corey, he's uh, he's wears lots of different hats and 
Uh, he's uh, really developed a lot of uh, uh, content and information to help people in their lives. So I hope you uh, connect with with Corey. Or his uh, information is in the show notes. And uh, something fun about the day that we filmed or recorded this episode. Right afterward, we switched roles, and Corey interviewed me and was the host or uh, I was a guest on his podcast and so I'll include the link to that show in the show notes as well hope you guys have a great week thanks for listening and uh, please rate and subscribe if you're interested in hearing future episodes take care